Good morning. <clears throat> Call your attention to a few things as we begin. Notice the front page of the bulletin. Um, there is a great opportunity that we have to join with several other churches in the area. I talked with uh, Demetrius Nelson at the Carm Carmack Boulevard Church. He's uh, kind of the main one coordinating this. And a great opportunity uh, to serve so many people that have children in our schools. And if you want to be a part of that, uh, we need about 125 volunteers. It's a great opportunity. Uh, you register online at the Carmack Church's website, and it's listed there in the information. Uh, they will have an informational meeting, and you can understand what they're doing. It's drive-through this year, trying to change in their format. Um, but they need help, and, and we can help. So think if you can do that. It's a week from Saturday, August the 1st. Uh, a wonderful opportunity, uh, and maybe even more to come. Uh, I also want to share just this. Just uh, This week has been quite surreal to me uh, in that it seems like this whole virus thing has entered Murray County. Maybe you feel the, the same. Uh, I don't stand before you telling you that I know all that's going on with our church family. I do know that we have several positive cases uh, in our church family, uh, several that have been tested and are uh, awaiting results. Um, so it's like right here, uh, right here in the midst of us. Um, I'll share this too. I was sharing with a friend here, and they said, Randy, you should tell everybody that. When this first started, and we were talking about what we would do as a church, um, and we talked about even those who have compromised health or age, you know, should consider staying at home. Uh, well, I fit that category with the compromised health. I have diabetes, and so that's one of those, you've seen that on the news, you know, I should be the one staying in. And so I talked with the elders about that. I said, what should I do? And so uh, my plan has been, and you need to know this, if you think well, Randy's being rather standoffish, that is true. Uh, um, it's not because I don't like you. Well, I may not like you, but that's not why I'm being standing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not coming into the auditorium and visiting with people, and I'm making a pretty quick exit, and I'm wearing a mask, and so I'm doing things to try to be responsible for me. Uh, I didn't share that up front because I thought, well, we're all trying to be careful, but I want you to know that, so if you're thinking, well, Randy hadn't talked to me in several months, it's true. Um, uh, I don't like it. Uh, I love to visit with people and talk to people, um, and so this is a struggle, I think, for all of us, but I just ask you to join me in praying. I know you are already. Pray for our schools. Can you imagine being an administrator right now? They need our help. They need us to pray for them or being a teacher, uh, being a parent. I mean, there are some serious decisions to be made and how to navigate that. Um, pray for our elders. Uh, they are struggling with this. You know, what is the right approach? What do we do? What do we not do? And, of course, pray for our church family as we um, kind of navigate through that. In fact, can we just pray now as we begin? Lord, you have heard so many prayers as we have come to you, as we are dealing with this um, pandemic that is um, all around us and now seems to be all the more within us. And we pray that you'd help us. We do lift up those who are in positions of authority to lead our county and our, our city and our schools. Um, Father, we pray for our elders who shepherd our souls. Uh, Father, we pray for just the friends and family we know who we're concerned for. Maybe they have a disease or maybe they are of an age where they are at risk especially. 
Um, Father, some of us know of people, um, friends, or maybe our own family who have now tested positive. We pray for that to go well, that they will get over that quickly. Um, and Father, we pray for all of this to go away. Uh, we're weary. Um, we would love to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and yet that's it's hard to see. God, give us patience. Um, help us to be like Jesus as we deal with this, as we respond to people who may see things differently. Um, Father, help us to be a light. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. We are in the second week of this series um, calling Leaning In. Uh, and from a biblical perspective, the word lean may not be at the top of your list, right? Uh, you think of faith and love and, and hope and peace and forgiveness. I mean, those are words maybe we think of. The Bible repeats oftenly, but lean? Maybe lean is not what we think of as being a biblical term. In fact, when we started this series last week and you even saw that, you may have wondered, well, what does that have to do with my walk with God? Leaning. Well, the Hebrew word that's translated lean in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That word is also translated, in addition to lean, sometimes it's translated trusts or relied or stay or supported even rest. So same concept, especially in how are we leaning or, or on whom are we leaning. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 10. I put it on the screen. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let him lean on his God. I don't often tout my own sermons, but if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and, and watch that online because we talked about leaning back and especially where that came from and the posture of John and Jesus in that very special moment when John leaned back on Jesus and how reflective that was of their relationship. How comfortable John must have been in the presence of Jesus to be able to lean back on his chest and talk to him about what was on his heart and how leaning back helps us to lean in. This week we're going to talk about leaning forward. Now the study of body language has always been quite fascinating to me. To this day, if I'm ever talking with somebody and I fold my arms, I remember being told you shouldn't do that because it gives the wrong signal. And so sometimes I'll just do that because it's comfortable and I'm thinking I'm giving the wrong signal and I need to stop doing that. You ever done that before? I mean, we're, we're aware of body language. I was reading one study and it talked about if the, if the questioner were to nod his head as he was asking, the people were prone to say yes. And if he were to shake his head no as he was asking the question, the people were more prone to say no. Body language is powerful. We're not always aware, and yet it does affect us. Now, I've seen all kinds of body language as I preach. All kinds of body language. Some of you I just ignore, you know, when I get some of this. Here's the challenge for me is when you've got the mask on, you know, I don't know if you're smiling or scowling. I just don't know. 
And so I just tend to ignore that as well. I also think about all those who are watching online. You know, when we were doing the recordings and everything was online, I gave up sharing any kind of joke or any kind of thing that might be funny because it just does not translate. Because you like to hear the laughter, you know, or are the, the people with me, that kind of thing. Instead, what I know is what I've got from several people. They'd send a picture of them, and all I could see were their fuzzy flannel pajama legs and their dog laying in their lap. Or the comments about, I'm not sure if I can get used to coming to church in person again wearing my fuzzy slippers. I mean, it's just a whole new day. AJ DeJarnett, very quickly, she sent me a video one time. Whole family, they were watching the worship online, and I was preaching, and their cat was going around the room howling the whole time. Now, I'm not sure what kind of body language that is. I'm hoping it was amening. I don't know. Um, but you never know what is going on. I'm titled the lesson today, Lean Forward. And that's a, a, a posture that's very important when it comes to the Christian life. You lean in. There's some, there's some anticipation. There's some, there's some excitement. There's, you're, you're glad to be a part of it. Leaning in. We understand that leaning forward. We're looking at several scriptures in 1st and 2nd Timothy. Today it's going to be 1st Timothy chapter 4. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, open there. Timothy's a younger man. He's going to preach at Ephesus. And so Paul writes several messages through these two letters. And you see this, this overall theme of, of saying, Timothy, you need to lean in. You need to lean forward. So he begins this letter. In fact, he just stresses it throughout that the gospel has the power to change lives. The gospel is the good news. It's the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul just drives this home. Look what he wrote in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. So if you're following along on the outline, there's four lessons I want us to gather from some of these teachings of Paul to Timothy. Lesson number one, cling to the truth. Now we may talk more about this later in the series because Paul talks more about this throughout the letters. In fact, I don't think we can overstate this enough to be reminded to cling to the truth or to focus, as he puts it here, the words of the faith and of the good doctrine. Some translations render that sound doctrine. And whenever I read sound doctrine or I hear the phrase sound doctrine, you know what I think of? I think of Bill Thrasher. Some of you remember well Bill Thrasher. I remember one time he explained that sound doctrine, it may sound churchy or maybe even pretentious, you know, sound doctrine. He said, but it really just simply means healthy teaching. You hang on to the healthy teaching. What makes sense is what's true, is what's right. You hold fast to that. Make sure you're listening to the Spirit. And see, even there, to me, there's an application for all of us. With all that's going on, with all that we've not been able to do, like meet for Bible classes or any other kind of small group Bible studies. I mean, so many things we're not able to do. We need to spend time in the Word in a way that's going to help you remain grounded in the truth. So how are you doing that? Or what do you need to start doing that in the meantime? I know some are listening to sermons, and that's good. But all of us can do something. Time in the Word. 
Look at verses 7 through 9. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness of value every day, as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Train yourself to be godly. You know, we live in a culture that spends much more attention to the present life than the life to come. In fact, even if we believe in heaven and hell, when somebody else brings up the life to come, our eyebrows raise. Why are you bringing that up? Because for the most part, our focus is on this life. So Paul points out to Timothy, there's value in taking care of your body and physical training. And even spiritually, that's good, that you take care of your body. It may extend your years, and, and you'll be able to serve in the kingdom longer on this planet. Maybe your, your quality of life will be better because you take care of your body, and you'll be able to do more for the kingdom. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should take good care of our body but not to allow the body or even our appearance to be more important than what's on the inside. Paul reminds Timothy in this pursuit of godliness. And here's a word I want you to think about. It's intentional. Godliness does not just come because you've lived another day or you've lived another year. Godliness happens when you pursue it, when you are intentional. Now, if you are familiar with Paul's letters, you know he loves sports analogies. And so he will reference and talk about sports and competing and, and finishing the race, a common theme. But here he warns about physical training has some value, yes, but spiritual training so much more. You train yourself to be godly. It's really not an either-or proposition. Really, I think what he's saying here is a both-and. Physical training is good. But spiritual training is also good. You really need both. I know some people do both at the same time. While they're working out or jogging, you know, they'll listen to Christian music or, or they'll listen to a, a lesson or a podcast, and I think that's good. Some people uh, like to pray as they walk. They're exercising their body, but they're also spiritually connecting with the Lord. I think that's the point he's making here. You be intentional about Scripture. Maybe for you, the opportunity is think about what are some key verses to memorize. And how could you go about that? If you're not meeting for a Bible class, if you're not regularly engaged with others in discussion, you know, that's rich and we're not able to do that. So maybe spend some time memorizing. Maybe pour yourself into others intentionally, spiritually. Do things that actually benefit for the cause of Christ. You lean forward Spiritually speaking, you train yourself. You pursue godliness. Now look at verse 10 and 11. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all the people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. I like that phrase, we have our hope set on the living God. There's something unique about the one true God and that sets him apart from all the other gods is that he is living. We see the darkness throughout the world, all the uncertainty, all the chaos. I mean, we're experiencing all of that. And we have an amazing opportunity to be spiritually perceptive and take advantage of those moments to point to the Lord. 
to have that kind of perspective. Do you know what makes people open and receptive to spiritual things? To even contemplating, talking about God? Even being welcome to talk about eternity or the purpose of life? Do you know what opens the door for that? Difficulties, hardships, struggles. We don't want to go through them. Nobody likes to go through them. But it's when you go through the difficulty. It's when your dreams are dashed. It's, it's when you're faced with a diagnosis. It's when you've lost your job. It's when your child goes uh, AWOL. It's when you're in those moments of difficulty, you're thinking, what have I done wrong? And what should I do right? And where do I turn for help? And is there any hope in this life? Well, there is hope in this life. And those who are struggling, that may be the very most... Uh, the best time to speak to that, to pray for discernment, be able to help people to point to the true hope that Paul is writing about here. So that's the second lesson, hold on to hope. Paul wants to make certain that the Christians in Ephesus get this because they need to get this. We need to get this. But the church in Ephesus, they needed this. A little bit of background. If you've spent a while since you studied about the, this, this city, it's a Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was a large city, a very influential city, a very wealthy city. What we know most about Ephesus is the Temple of Artemis, sometimes called the Temple of Diana. You might remember that was an issue. This is not quite the picture yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, the Temple of Diana, we're familiar living near Nashville, the Parthenon, right? Exact size replica of the original in Greece. Well, the Temple of Diana was four times as large. So just get the scale of that. And so everybody in Ephesus was very much aware of that. And, and, and shall I say the pull of that? Because people came from miles and miles to see it. And they would donate. They would sacrifice. They would give their precious, their precious valuables in this temple. It was a commercial hub. It was a place of education. It was a place of medicine. Anything that was happening in that day and time, it was happening in Ephesus. One author described the remains of a 60-foot columns that lined the shopping district. There are only uh, just ruins of that now. But on top of each of those 60-foot columns, 60-foot, think about that, that's like six-story high building, it lined this corridor of the main shopping district, and there were a statue of each of their gods on the columns. That's what surrounded them. So it wasn't just this huge temple that one portion of the building, like we might think of a, a sports stadium. This was everywhere. This is the picture of the library in Ephesus. One author described this library. This was close to the shopping district. The men would go to the library. The women would go to the shopping district. Again, people would come from all over to see all of this, and this library was famous. It was actually destroyed and then put back together as much as possible. But even you see the people there, and you get the scale of how large that was. Historians say inside the library there was a secret passageway in a back room that led to a brothel. So the women would be out shopping, 
and the men would be in the library. Can you imagine that? As he explains, oh, my husband loves to read. He's at the library all the time, you know. Well, my husband's the same way. It's crazy. He's really gotten hooked on this. Kind of gives you an idea of what was happening in this day and culture. And I was reading through that. I thought, you know, in some ways things haven't changed at all. People are looking for love and purpose and joy and fulfillment in all the wrong places. Searching for hope when life seems hopeless. That's not just a first century problem. It's a problem today. It's still true. And we as Christians are living in the middle of a very worldly world. And we don't have to travel to a big city to take it in. It comes to us on our smartphone or our televisions or our tablets. It's everywhere. Our hope, though, is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Because what we know is things do not give us direction. Things do not give us purpose. Things do not give us ultimate joy and fulfillment. But Jesus is not dead, which means our work has just begun. See, if the resurrection is really true, if the resurrection is really true, that means you and I as Christians have that resurrection power living in us. We have his Holy Spirit the Greek word for hope here that Paul used here, hope set on the living God, is used grammatically talking about a continual state of hope. You've got it, and it's going to continue all of your existence. Nothing can thwart that. Look at the next verse. Paul says to Timothy, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I shared this verse last week because it's probably one that we think of the most when we think about what did Paul write to young Timothy. But here's the lesson. Don't hide behind your age. Don't hide behind your age. Or maybe say it positively, lean forward regardless of your age. But I think you know what I mean when I say don't hide behind your age because we learn to do that when we're coming of age. Remember when you were aging out of being a child and you were becoming a teenager and you had those moments in your early teenage years when your parents were still seeing you and treating you like a young child, but you weren't a young child anymore? And so you were making the case for some independence, maybe to stretch the boundaries just a bit, maybe to, to lessen the rules. And so... You'd make your case and then state your age and say, well, mom and dad, I'm 14. But out of that same mouth, when we mess up, when we make a mistake, we can hide behind our age. When we blow it big time and our mom and dad are on our case, we can say, but mom and dad, I'm only 14. We can hide behind our age. Paul, who is older, is writing to Timothy, his younger protege. Some commentaries will say to use this term the way Paul was doing, maybe we get the idea that Timothy was 29 or younger. We don't know factually that's true, but that's something for us to think about. But Paul gives a very important message. Don't let people look down on you. And he goes on positively and says, you use your gifts. Yes, you're young, but you use your gifts. Do you ever wish people at church 
we're more like you. Maybe your age, maybe your marital status, maybe the way you think, but especially your own age. This, a friend shared this with me this week. A team of missionaries to Kenya were being driven across the plains to their destination, and they noticed the herds of wildebeest and zebras migrating together. And the escort explained why these two massive herds of such different species would travel together. He said the wildebeest have poor eyesight, but a keen sense of smell. And the zebras have good eyesight, but a poor sense of smell. So together, they're less vulnerable to attack because their differences compensated for their weaknesses. Paul wrote, if the whole body were an eye, where, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Maybe Paul knew what he was talking about here. You know, when we join a group, whatever kind of group, we can't help but be aware. I'm the oldest one there. I'm the youngest one there. I'm the only one there that's a male or a female. We know just the demographics, and we take comfort when there are people there like us. Even race is just kind of part of it. We can't help but see that, and we acknowledge that, and we're more comfortable being with people who are like us. But people who are older, or maybe of a different gender, maybe of a different background, different culture, different race, those differences might rub you the wrong way from time to time, but they can actually benefit you. The article concluded like this. Zebras and wildebeest don't have to like each other, but their survival and success depend on getting along. Your spiritual growth doesn't depend on agreeing with everybody, but it does depend on loving them enough to live together agreeably. I want to speak to our younger ones for a moment. I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the names we use to talk about the younger generations, like the millennials and the Gen Zs. And I was looking those up, and I thought, well, what comes after Gen Zs? Have you looked at that lately? There's a name for it. It's called Generation Alpha. Um, and the dates differ. Some say that would be those born in uh, 2010. Some say 2013. Some say 2015. So that's the youngest generation that we're talking about. But I, I want to speak to those that are part of our church that would be millennials or Gen Zs or, or, or teenagers to hear this. And I think I'm speaking for the whole church. I know I'm speaking for the elders because I hear them say this from time to time. I want you to know that your being a part of this church family is vital. That we value you. That we see you as our, our hope and our encouragement. We love your youth. We love your vigor. We want this church to be a home for you, that you feel comfortable and welcome because we need you. We need your example. We need your enthusiasm. We need your passion. And as Paul would say here, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. I'm not sure who coined the phrase, you're the church of tomorrow, but that's wrong. You're the church of today. Maybe these babies being born, all 400 that we've had this year, uh, maybe we could call them the church of tomorrow. But these younger generation, they are the church of today. Notice what Paul implies by saying, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Do you hear what he's saying here? 
We who are older need you who are younger to be an example. Have you ever thought about that? Not just don't let people look down on you because you're young, but you need to lean forward. You need to step in to being an example. Show us what it means to follow Jesus. Show us what it means to have passion in your walk with him. Show us what it means to walk in the spirit. And those of us who are older, we need to hear this. You know, I think as a church, one of our greatest strengths is that we are multi-generational. I picked up on this when I first came to be a part of this church 15 years ago. How much we are multi-generational and how much the generations value each other. And that is so important. Not all churches are blessed that way. And I think there can be strength. Just as, I'm not comparing this to animals, but just as the wildebeest and the zebras help each other, was the very point Paul was making about the body. So we would say to those of you who are younger, help us. Set the example. Sometimes we need you to challenge us. Sometimes we need you to encourage us. Sometimes we need to see your faith in action. And it encourages us greatly. I say that because I know through the years I've been here, I have seen the amazing influence of the young on the old and the old on the young. It does go both ways. So maybe ask yourself, how can God work through you regardless of your age? And to our older folks, I would say your steadfastness, your experience, your resources play such a valuable role in the spiritual health and vitality of this church. We need your stability. We need your wisdom. We need your patience. And again, truly, it's a blessing that we are multi-generational. I think God will bless us with that. Now look at verses 13 through 15. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So here's the final lesson. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to preaching and teaching, using the gifts that God has given you, Timothy, you practice these things you immerse yourself in these things. You're at the prime age to make this a priority because here's what happens. You know, when you're young and you're just getting started, you're looking at Pinterest, you're looking at Windows, you're, you see what could be, you're dreaming of the future, but once you've put a few years on, you've got a job, you've had a relationship or two, you've made some mistakes. You're no longer just dreaming about the future. Now you're right in the middle of the future. And what are you going to deal with that? Maybe you didn't do your best in school. Maybe your boss letting you go was your fault. Maybe she broke up with you because you were the problem after all. What about the mistakes you made? Because when you live life and you have these mistakes, what comes with that is regrets. And often regrets come shackles. 
And then we think, because I blew it, because I was fired, because I'm divorced, because I'm, and you fill in the blank, and you think, well, then I'm of no use anymore, and I can't do any good anymore. We may even think I wasn't living for God, and so I've wasted so much time. There's no hope for me. That's not the message that Paul is sharing to Timothy. In 1954, the Milwaukee Braves were playing against the Cincinnati Reds. It was opening season for Major League Baseball. Jim, Jim Greengrass was the rookie player for the Cincinnati Reds. He did great. First game of his professional career, four for four. What a fantastic start, right? Well, Milwaukee's rookie player didn't start off so well. Exact same day, 0 for 4. I think he had two strikeouts. Now, first day of their professional career for these two rookies. But whose name do you remember? Jim Greengrass or Hank Aaron? Of course you remember Hank Aaron. Because Hank Aaron went on to become a prolific home run hitter, a major baseball player, inducted into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And Jim Greengrass? I don't know. Maybe he started a lawn care company, right? Actually, I looked it up. He had uh, several years. But not nearly as successful as Hank Aaron. Here's what I'm saying. People don't remember how you start. They remember how you finish. And Satan will take all your regrets and all your mistakes and he'll hang them over your head. Don't let him do that. That's not what it's about. As you age, you know you can't take those years back. You may have wasted a lot of opportunities, a lot of life, pursuing things that don't matter. But what Paul is writing to Timothy is you step in, you lean forward. Now's the moment. Do your best. It's easier to recover from a weak start than a poor finish. Look at verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, for by so doing, you will both save yourself and your hearers. Persist. Not a word that I would typically use talking about spiritual things, because you think about persist, sometimes we think of bugging, you know? But it's positive there as well. You persist, you do good, you hang on to this, you watch yourself also. Why? He just stated the reason. You're an example. You've not allowed your age to be an excuse. You are setting an example. You persist in this. You keep a close watch. You live a life that is pleasing to God, that's worthy of the gospel. See, everything is going to be measured not by how much you make, how many friends you have, how many followers on your social media. The standard is Jesus Christ. And ultimately, when the day comes, that's what really matters. If you're into horse racing, you know in 2019, the Kentucky Derby had a strange ending. Because of the a disqualification, that horse that came in first technically was rendered last. One newspaper had this headline about the horse named Maximum Security. Maximum Security won the race and lost the Kentucky Derby thanks to an instant replay. I share that because I think that so illustrates what God is trying to tell us, what the gospel is all about. 
from our perspective, just watching the race from the stands and you're seeing the horses go around the track, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like Satan is triumphing. It looks so discouraging because that's what we see. But on closer examination, in the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby's case, it was instant replay. When they went back and watched the race, we realized not so fast because the one that came in first came in last. Here's the truth about eternity. The sinless, perfect Son of God took on all of our sin, all of yours, all of mine, all of humanity's, and died on our behalf. The one who was first became last. The Bible says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus went from first place in heaven to last place, representing us and taking on our punishment. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus, we were in last place. We get to be in first place. Because he gives us his righteousness. That's the real story. That's the true gospel. Because of Jesus, you can have all of his privileges and all of his benefits. You are barely in the race. But if you're in Jesus Christ, boom, you win. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Well, how does it happen? It happens when you accept it. Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago so that you could be seen as pure and clean and white. He gives you his righteousness. But you have to accept that. Believe he is the son of God. Confess your faith to others. And you put on that righteousness. You are clothed with Jesus as you are buried with him. And you rise to walk and you are a new person his spirit lives within you. You wonder why we talk about that every Sunday? It's because that's the good news. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. And what all of us need to remember. Hang on to that. Don't let go of that. And even when it seems like evil is winning, just know the good judge is going to make it all right. Our invitation song is for anyone who's not yet named the name of Jesus, not yet become a Christian, but having your sins washed away in baptism. We have the water ready. We'd love to help you. Or if we can pray for you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.